go to Leviticus 16, Leviticus, uh, I'm sorry, Leviticus 17. If you could turn on that, uh, if you could put on that uh, outline for me, thanks. And uh, Leviticus is about the, the tabernacle. Uh, God is instituting uh, corporate worship for Israel. And if you remember, uh, this is uh, we're talking about uh, when we talk about the tabernacle, we're talking about the temple. When we're talking about the temple, we're talking about temple theology. And uh, so let me just kind of quick inter quick question: uh, how, how would you define temple in Scripture? Like, what is, what does it mean? For there to be a temple in Scripture, what is temple? God's dwelling. Right, right. God's dwelling with us. Right. It's not a building per se. It's not a you know bricks and mortar. It's not a tent uh, per se. It's God dwelling with us. It's God dwelling with man. So if that's the definition of, of a temple, then when do we find the first temple in the Bible? In the Garden of Eden. So the Garden of Eden, you have the first temple, um, you have the first priests, uh, there's uh, God is walking with man, and then uh, there's, there's sin, there's the fall, Adam and Eve, they're what? They're kicked out of the temple. They're sent into the wilderness, so to speak. And then, when's the next time we... Uh, there's a few other uh, uh, kind of similar instances of, of kind of this uh, appearance of the temple or God dwelling with us, but what's the next big one where uh, we see temple? Let's say I'll give you a hint. It was in Exodus. In Exodus, where do we see the temple again? Not in the fire and the cloud. Right. So when Moses goes up the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he uh, encounters God's presence, and remember, Eden was on a, a mountain. It was on a it was on a hill, um, and so Moses goes up at, up the hill. And uh, he meets God. God dwells with him as this there's kind of second instance of temple. Uh, we, the third instance is the tabernacle and God uh, returning after the sacrifices and the priesthood is uh, thinking, is established. And kind of 1 through 7, 8 through 10, uh, God uh, returns in chapter 9. And uh, chapter 10, who, who dies? Oh, he, yeah, yeah, so he, so he, uh, in chapter 10, uh, Nadab and Abihu die, and that kind of uh, brackets the, the, the Nadab, Nadab and Abihu's death uh, is mentioned in chapter 10 the first time. It's mentioned in chapter 16, the, in the, on the first day of the, on the first, uh, first verse of the atonement, right? So it brackets this part, 11 through 15, and the idea is that uh, in order to enter into uh, the temple, in order for God to remain with us in the tabernacle, uh, there needs to be ritual purity, right? 
Um, and so we, 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 we covered that. And we'll get back to there. But so you have uh, the, 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 the God dwelling with us when Solomon builds the temple. When, when does God leave the temple in the Old Testament? When does he leave the temple? Remember? What book? In Ezekiel, he leaves, right? Yeah. You see him leave the temple. Uh, Is that where they mention the glory? The glory leaves, right? Israel's in, in, in exile, and Babylon in exile, and then Ezekiel gets a vision of God's glory leaving the temple. Where do we see the temple again in the Gospels, in the New Testament? You see the temple again. Uh, the Transfiguration? No. Uh, close, <laughs> but even earlier than that. We're referred to as temples for the Holy what? Spirit. We're, like our bodies are referred to as temples in the New Testament, I believe, for the Holy Spirit. Right, right. Well, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. The, the coming of Christ. Yeah, the coming of Christ, yeah. right? Yeah. He's God with us, exactly. right? Yeah. John 1, God dwelt with man. That word dwell is tabernacle. He tabernacled with us. And then Christ is resurrected. And then, as Jake said, the temple is now what? Where? The church, right? Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends onto the God's people. And now we're a temple. Now we're the tabernacle, right? Now we're the garden. Um, and so, last uh, Friday... We, we, we got to the, the top, the, the high point, the center point of Leviticus, the Day of Atonement, uh, chapter 16. And that's the, not only the, the centerpiece of Leviticus, it's the, it's the, central, uh, uh, the central part of the first five books of Moses. It, it's, it's there. Uh, that's how the God uh, dwells with man. Uh, that the Day of Atonement assures that God will stay with Israel. And last Friday, uh, what was what 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 what, did, what what function did the Day of Atonement serve? What, what was it? What was its main purpose? I'm going to use kind of a, a, an analogy. It was reboot day. It was reboot day, right? It's when Israel cleansed the tabernacle. It's, throughout the year, the tabernacle would be defiled by people lying about their state of cleanliness. You would have various uh, unclean animals like walk through the tabernacle and walk all over the, the, the ark and the table and the showbread and the altar. It would be uh, ceremonial defi ceremonially defiled. So the, 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 the tabernacle needed to be rebooted, it needed to be cleansed. And there was this elaborate process. The high priest would take off his normal garments, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his golden, uh, uh, his crown, his, uh, his, the breastplate and the gems, and this elaborate uh, cost, his uniform that he usually wore, he put on white, he would humble himself, he would bring his own sin sacrifice, of a of a of a bull, or not a, a bull. He would bring. Let's see, where does it say? I'm uh, oh, sorry. Chapter sixteen. He would bring a bull for a, a sin offering, a ram for a burnt offering, and then he would bring two goats. 
goat, goat uh, offerings for the people, and there were two goats, and the two goats looked exactly like each other because it was basically one goat, but uh, with two, two roles. Uh, one of the goats would be sacrificed. Uh, the, the blood of the goat would be sprinkled uh, inside the Holy Bolies, inside the ark. Uh, where exactly on the ark? On the mercy seat, right? With the cherubim looking down on the mercy seat. Uh, in the ark was what? what? Uh, the tablets, uh, Aaron's rod, and the manna bread, all uh, that would serve as memories of Israel's disobedience. Remember them complaining about manna. Remember them breaking the law as soon as they receive it. Moses has to uh, give them the law again because they were worshiping the idols. And so you have this kind of symbol of disobedience within the ark. You have the mercy seat, the cherubim looking down, and the and the, the high priest would take the blood of the goat that was slaughtered. He would sprinkle the blood of the goat on the mercy seat. And so the, this blood would cover the ark, cover this, these symbols of sin. The cherubim are looking down. They're seeing God's mercy, right? The blood of God's mercy covering Israel's sin. The other goat would be the scapegoat. And the, and the high priest would put two hands on the goat's head, transferring the sins of the people through the high priest, the mediator, to the to the goat. The goat would go would would, would leave, would not come back, uh, and it was it was to show that God was uh, taking away our sins as far as the east is from the west, right? And that was all pointing to who? Christ, the, the high priest, our ultimate high priest. And and remember, I was I was I was telling you uh, over and over. It says, uh, it says uh, that, the, that the, the high priest in Leviticus 16, uh, he had to offer up his uh, 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 sacrifice for his own sin. Uh, but in, in, uh, in Hebrews, uh, it, it says that Christ, our high priest, was, uh, he entered without a, a, a sin sacrifice because he was he was sinless he was sinless so there's this deliberate contrast between the high priest of Hebrews and the high priest of Leviticus 16. So uh, we, we go to kind of a I, I like the way these guys kind of uh, put um, you know they they put the centerpiece rightfully as the, the chapter 16 Day of Atonement and they they also put chapter 17. Uh, and I think that's a, it's a nice place to uh, arrange this outline because um, just because of the, the, the importance that the blood of the atonement plays in Scripture. So even though the Day of Atonement really is the centerpiece, chapter 16, uh, these guys added chapter 17 to, to be the, the, the centerpiece of, of, this, of this literary structure of Leviticus. Uh, and, and we'll see why when we finish um, Leviticus 17 today. Uh, from 17 through the end of chapter 26, okay, well, uh, let, me, let me backward, go backward. So the Day of Atonement was this reboot. Uh, it, it also, it looked forward to the final atonement of the perfect high priest who will offer a once-for-all sacrifice. It, it looks forward to the final Day of Atonement with a final reboot 
and this final reboot inaugurates an entirely new system of worship, right? When Jesus died, when his blood uh, covered our sin, what happened in the, in the, in the tabernacle or the temple? What, what was the first thing that happened? What happened when Jesus died? Remember the, the curtain ripped from top to bottom, and it symbolized that now there's a new way to approach God. Uh, there's an entirely new system where we enter into God's presence 24-7, anytime we want to. Uh, but, we, but, we, but until we get to that day, for the Old Testament, this Day of Atonement uh, was also a holding mechanism until, that, until Christ came. So from, now from chapter 17 all the way to the 26, we encounter what uh, many scholars call the Holiness Code, the Holiness Code. And the Holiness Code are basically laws that deal with our with the ethics of the Israelite community, the morality. These chapters demand holy moral living, holy ethics, and it kind of makes sense, right? Now that we have the Day of Atonement in chapter 16, uh, how should we now live in light of this atonement? We should live holy lives. And so that's how Leviticus is structured. Leviticus 1 through 16 uh, uh, focused on the relationship between Israel and God. Uh, this is how to love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. Right? The greatest commandment of the Bible. That, that was chapter 1 through 16. And now, starting today, chapter 17 through 26, this is how man loves his neighbor. This is how to love your neighbor. Um, in the second half of Leviticus, you're going to see uh, over and over uh, the phrase, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You see that a lot more times than you did uh, in the first 16 chapters of Leviticus. So the Holy Code uh, begins in chapter 17. Um, some, some say the chapter 17 is like a trans, transitory chapter. Some say it begins the Holiness Code. And um, I, I think it, and I, I, take, I take it that it just begins the Holiness Code holiness code and the first thing God wants us to learn as we strive to as Israel strove to live a holy life was the the sanctity of blood the holiness of blood remember earlier uh, when we looked at Leviticus chapter uh, uh, chapter 12 uh, we the, when we looked at the laws of cleanliness and uncleanliness, uh, we there was the there was there was there was we, we, we kind of wondered why why does the why does a woman who give who gives birth uh, why does she need to go through this purification process and then later on in chapter uh, fifteen in the same uh, it talks about women and their menstrual impurity and they were unclean as long as they were uh, kind of menstruating right. Uh, and we kind of, we just, we were left a, a little bit uh, with some question marks as to why that was the case. Chapter 17 explains uh, why um, the women in their menstrual cycle and why when they gave childbirth as they lost a lot of blood, why they had to go through what they did. The reason is because uh, there was, there's blood. There was blood. And... Um, you have to regard uh, the, the, the thing that makes you holy, holy. If blood makes you holy, 
you must treat blood in a holy way. So Israel was careful, carefully, they were to deal with this issue of blood because, as we're going to see in chapter 17, life is found in the blood. And the blood is used to designate the atonement of God. God's propitiation, somebody taking God's wrath for us. So when we talk about blood, we're getting to the heart of the gospel, aren't we? And so Israel was to carefully handle the presence of blood to show, to remind themselves of the way you become holy. How do you become holy? You need blood. There needs to be blood. So in chapter 17, there, there are regulations regarding sacrifices and blood. And uh, before we get into that, before we continue, let's read it real quick. So who wants to read verses 1 through 9? I can do it. And who wants to read verses 10 through 16? Chapter 17? Yeah, yeah. Okay, sweet. Okay, Chapter 17, verse 1. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to his sons of Israel, and say to them, this is what Yahweh had commanded, saying, Any man from the house of Israel who slaughters an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or who slaughters it outside the camp, and hath not brought it to the doorway of the tent of meeting, to bring it near as an offering to Yahweh before the tabernacle of Yahweh, it will be counted a blood guiltiness to that man. He has shed blood. And that man shall be cut off from among his people. The reason is so that the sons of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they are sacrificing, in the open field, that they may bring them in the, into Yahweh, at the doorway of the tent of meeting to the priest, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offering to Yahweh. And the priest shall splash the blood on the altar of Yahweh at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and offer up the fat in smoke as a soothing element to Yahweh. And they shall no longer sacrifice the sacrifices to the goat's demons with which they play the harlot. This shall be a perpetual statue to them throughout their generations. Then you shall say to them, Any man from the house of Israel and from the sojourners and to sojourners among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the doorway of the tent of meeting to offer it to Yahweh, that man also shall be cut off from his people. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Therefore I say unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. And whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, which hunteth and catcheth any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall, he shall even pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust. For it, is the, for it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is, for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto you, the children of Israel, 
You shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. And every soul that eateth that which died of itself, or that which was torn with beasts, whether it was whether it be one of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the even, and then shall he be clean. But if he wash them not, nor bathe his flesh, then he shall bear his iniquity. Thank you. So at first glance, Leviticus 17 seems like it's dealing with the same food laws we saw back in chapter 11, but if you, uh, on closer examination, the main issue is not just the mere eating of food, it's rather uh, found in verse 7. Um, you shall no longer sacrifice sacrifices to the goat demons with which they play the harlot. This is uh, not on, the focus here in chapter 17 is not on dietary matters, but on the worship of God, particularly the violations of the, of the first and second commandment, um, as we see this idolatry being curtailed in this chapter. In verses 1 through 9, uh, the main uh, idea is that every sacrifice made in, in association with worship needs to be uh, brought to the tabernacle. Um, any sacrifice connected to worship must be offered at, one, at the only legitimate altar located near the entrance of the, uh, of the tent of meeting. So let me put this uh, tabernacle up. So if you're going to worship, worship God, uh, you can't, you, you can't uh, make an offering anywhere except right here, right, right inside here, the burnt, the altar of the burnt uh, offering. Uh, any type of uh, sacrifice of worship needs to come here. One altar. Uh, and uh, before we kind of uh, continue, uh, I think you, you, you need to just be aware when you read Leviticus, the, the, that, that opening statement. Um, what's the difference between the way uh, Yahweh addresses or the address found in the beginning of chapter 17 and the address found in the beginning of chapter 16? What is the difference? It's like 16 is something new is being initiated and 17 is a continuation of what was initiated. Is that no, it's even easier than that. <laughs> I'll look at the first two verses of 17 and the first two verses of 16. Okay. And what's the big difference? In the address, in, in, in who's being addressed. Oh, okay. Right. So in, verse, in chapter 16, the address is to who? And, and Moses to who? Aaron. To Aaron. 17, it's who? Moses. To who? Next generation. To who? Aaron had his sons. And to all the sons of Israel. So do you see the address? One is to just to the priest. This is to all of Israel. And that's how chapter 18 begins. 
Speak to the sons of Israel, chapter 19. Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, about chapter 20. You shall say to the sons of Israel, but in chapter 21, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them. So you have to be uh, notice the distinction, the, the, the distinction between the address made to the priesthood only, and or uh, an address to the priesthood and all of the rest of Israel. Verse two, uh, we learn. Um, what do we learn about worship? What do we learn about worship uh, in verse two? What do we learn about worship in verse two? Worship is supposed to be done the way God exactly right. It. This is what Yahweh has commanded. Uh, God uh, lays out all the details of worship and rituals. We don't get to choose. Uh, we don't get to say how we usually determine worship. What makes me feel good? Um, I remember I had a couple visiting, they were complaining about our worship, and they just said, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I, love, uh, I love this song, I love that song, and, and uh, I love this modern song and that modern song, nothing wrong with that. And I said, well, you know, most, the, the most important thing to, about worship is what? Whether God likes it, right? <laughs> does, does, is God pleased with the worship? Uh, it helps if you like it. But if you like it and God doesn't like it, uh, it's not going to do you any good. Um, the, the key thing is God, we, we need to please God with our worship. And you know what? I'm going to venture out and say that I don't think God really cares about the musical style. I really don't. I don't think he cares about uh, the rhythm and whether it sounds like our favorite, uh, you know, uh, secular band. Uh, I don't think he cares about the music. Uh, he cares about what? He cares about the words, he cares about the hearts behind the words. Uh, the music part, if you like it, that's, that's a plus. <laughs> if you don't like it, get over it. <laughs> there are songs that, I, that are really solid that I personally don't like just from an aesthetic value, and, and I just need to just get over it and say, well, are the words solid? Hey, then I, and does, does God, is God pleased with the song? then, you know what, um, I'm going to sing it with, 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 uh, with all my heart. Um, we go into verse 3. Any man from the house of uh, Israel who slaughters an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or who slaughters it outside the camp. Now, it's kind of ambiguous, verse 3. Uh, is uh, God talking about any slaughter, any kind of slaughter, like you're slaughtering an ox or a lamb or a goat just, for, just to feed your family? It, it doesn't specifically say in verse 3. Um, and, and, and scholars argue over whether it's referring to uh, all slaughter, whether you're feeding your family, or, or you're worshiping God. Does every slaughtered uh, lamb or ox have to come to the tabernacle? Or, or is it just referring to uh, worship? I, I think it's referring to worship. I think verse 7 is kind of what should color the context. It should determine... The ambiguity, 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 ambiguity of verse three, four, five, and six, and so, uh, and plus, if you look, if you look, do a word study on the word slaughter, when it when it's used in a sacrificial context, it's always uh, it's always related to worship, and so, uh, God is wants to prevent uh, false worship, idolatry, uh, goat idolatry, the occult. And the penalty, verse 4, what's the penalty in verse 4? 
What kind of guilt is common to the man? Blood guiltiness. Blood guiltiness. And in Leviticus, is there a is there a sacrifice that you can give give when you're when you're when you have blood guiltiness? Is there a sacrifice you can give when you're when the when when you're when you're decreed blood guilty? Uh, well, let's let's find out. Let's find out if there's a sacrifice that you can make when there's blood guiltiness involved. Uh, there's there's let's see three six seven places where we see the word blood guiltiness. We looked at uh, the first instance in verse four. Who wants to look at twenty verse nine? Raise your hand, uh, real quick. Twenty verse nine. Peter, can you do, read verse 20, 20 verse nine? Uh, twenty verse eleven. Justin, can you read that? Kinsons, can you do, can you read twenty verse twenty verse twelve? Uh, honey, can you read twenty verse thirteen? Henry, twenty verse uh, twenty verse sixteen, and then um, uh, Jake, can you read twenty twenty seven. Yeah. And these are all, every instance that we see blood guiltiness. Uh, we're going to read. So who's who has chapter yeah, twenty verse nine? Twenty verse twenty verse nine yep. says, "If there is anyone who curses his father or mother, uh, he shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood guiltiness is upon him." Okay, verse nine. That was. Yeah, that was verse nine. Oh, verse, uh, uh, verse 11? Oh, verse 11? Yeah. No. If no, next a, person. If there is a man who lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Verse 12. If there is a man who lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed incest. Their bloody... Blood guiltiness is upon them. Okay, verse 13. If a man lies with a male, as with, with a woman, both of them have committed an, an abomination. They shall surely be put to death, and their blood is upon them. Uh, verse 27. Uh, a man also, or a woman, that hath a familiar spirit, or that is a wizard, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones, their blood shall be upon them. Right, so is there a sacrifice for blood guiltiness in Leviticus? None. No sacrifice. So blood guiltiness is the worst kind of guilt you can have. The guilt is so bad that there's no sacrifice that can be offered for blood guiltiness. Um, and that, that helps, you, helps you a little bit understand. Go to Psalm 51 real quick. And this is uh, David uh, after he had committed adultery to Bathsheba, with Bathsheba. This is after he had uh, had her uh, husband Uriah killed. And uh, verse 14, David says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness. Right? Look what he says in verse 16. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. What is he saying? There's no sacrifice I can give you. I can't give you the burnt offering, because you remember, burnt offerings usually accompany the sin offering and the guilt offering, right? But since, since there is no offering for the, the penalty of blood guiltiness, I can't give you a burnt offering. There's no sacrifice I can make to wash away my sin, 
right? Uh, and Psalm 51 is pointing to the, the sacrifice that can wash away blood guiltiness, right? The sacrifice of Christ. So there is, in the tabernacle system of sacrifice, there is this inherent limitation. There is a built-in limitation of the the tabernacle sacrificial system. There are some sins that there is no sacrifice for. And, and, And what does that say? This tabernacle is not all there is. It's intentionally incomplete. It's intentionally limited. We need a new system. We need a new system, right? And so that's part of uh, the futility of the Old Testament tabernacle. As you look in Galatians, this is why Paul is so frustrated. Why do you want to go back to a system where there were some sins that you couldn't be forgiven for? Why would you want to do that? Uh, Why would you want less forgiveness in the old system? Verse 4, go back, go back to Leviticus 17. What is, uh, what happens uh, when you offer a blood sacrifice to the goat demon? There's blood guiltiness. That's why I don't think, again, that's one reason why I don't think this is referring to all, uh, all sacrifices. I can't, I, I can't, I can't believe that blood, blood guiltiness would be charged to a person trying to feed his family, right? But that doesn't make sense. This is a, uh, um, this is a this is a serious crime. Look what it says in verse four. He has shed blood. Verse four. It's counted as blood guiltiness. Uh, he has shed blood. Remember where was that phrase? Remember that phrase? He has shed blood. Where, where did we hear that for the first time? Uh, Genesis. Good. What chapter? Where in Genesis? Four. No, you're close. Uh, can't, uh... Was blood was shed, but that that uh, uh, that that phrase is not really there. Oh, that, that okay. When, when God shed the blood of the the, the was it a goat, the sheep in the garden to clothe Adam and Eve? Uh, no, no, it doesn't say he has shed, has shed blood. No, <laughs> he almost got a, a bag of chips. Almost got a free bag of chips <laughs> as a as a prize. Now, you, you, you see that in the Noahic Covenant, 9-6, that phrase is used to describe the murder of a human being. Now, Genesis 9-6 says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by blood, by man his blood shall be shed. So, God equates sacrifice to a false god. He equates the crime with murder. It's the same level of murder. He has shed blood. He has committed murder. And what's, is there a remedy for this? No remedy. No sin offering can be offered. No guilt offering can be offered. No offering of the Day of Atonement can be offered. Um, what's the penalty? The man shall be cut off from among his people. Uh, co- commentators argue over what the penalty, what this means to be cut off. Yes, it could be exile. It could be exile. The man was uh, cast out from the people. But uh, the problem with that is that it's kind of it would be hard to catch this kind of crime, right? 
if, if you sacrificed an animal to a goat idol, you know, in the middle of the forest, you're, you're not going to be caught. Uh, it's easy to get away with. So, commentators conclude that this is probably a warning of premature death. That, you know what, if you do this, don't think you can get away with it, because somehow, some way, God is going to take your life early. Uh, so that's the penalty. There's no forgiveness here, no forgiveness offered here. Um, verses 5 through 7 give us the reason why, why people needed to bring their sacrifice to the right location. The, the first reason is found in verse 5. The reason is, verse 5, is so that the sons of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they are sacrificing in the open field. There's the first reason. This is the first reason why you needed to bring bring your sacrifice to the tabernacle and not to the open field. Because in the open field, what would be the problem if you tried to, if the people tried to uh, offer a sacrifice to God in the open field and not in the tabernacle? What if we all tried to do this on our own in the open field? What would be the problem with that? Yeah, and why do you need a priest? They're, they're anointed. They're... Yeah, there's no priest to regulate it. There's no priest to watch over it. Um, there, there's no priest to give give the people direction and what, what you needed to do. And that's what kind of verse 5, you see that. Uh, they may bring their uh, sacrifices, which they are sacrificing in the open field, that they may bring them into Yahweh at the door of the tent of the meeting to the priest. To the priest. The sacrifices need to be given by the proper, uh, need to be offered by the proper priest at the only legitimate altar within the tabernacle. What's another reason? Verse, verse 6. What's another reason why people couldn't offer their own sacrifices and worship to God? What's another reason? Verse 6. Exactly, right. The blood is holy. The blood is precious. The blood of the sacrifice needs to be handled in the right way. Can you imagine everybody sacrificing? There's all this blood, and it would get out of hand. <laughs> they, they wouldn't know what to do with the blood. The blood, blood needs, to, uh, needs to be handled in a, in a biblical way. Uh, and, the, and the most important reason, verse 7, uh, they shall no longer sacrifice their sacrifices to the goat demons which, which to which they play the harlot. Uh, anybody have experience with goats? Male goats? Yeah. Are they nice? No. They're not nice. <laughs> Male goats are not nice. They're aggressive. They don't look nice. They, they kind of look demonic. Yeah. My brother was saying that today. <laughs> they look... Yeah. Yeah. They look cultish, right? And, uh, and a lot of times, you know, the, the kind of animal you would sacrifice would look like what you were trying to accomplish, right? So if you were in a fertility rite, you know, what, what animal would you likely choose if you wanted to engage in sort of a fertility rite? What would be like an animal that would look like the best animal to offer in a fertility rite? Big fat cow, right? You know? Big fat cow. Oh, that, that looks fertile. We're going to sacrifice that. 
if you wanted to connect to the occult, the underworld, what animal would you likely choose? Uh, that goat right there. That goat looks like he knows uh, somebody in the underworld. We'll sacrifice that. So people chose animals that looked like what they were trying to accomplish. And God wanted to prevent that. Even in 2 Chronicles, go to 2 Chronicles, uh, you, see, you see goat worship there. Go to 2 Chronicles, look with your own eyes. 2 Chronicles 11.15, who wants to read that for us? Who wants to read Second Second Chronicles eleven fifteen? And he set up priests of his own for the high places, for the good demons and for the cows which he had made. Uh, yeah, who who did this? Jeroboam. Yeah, and what kind of uh, crime is Jeroboam, Jeroboam committing? The worst crime possible, right? Blood guiltiness. I mean, if you know Leviticus, when you get to Second Chronicles eleven fifteen, you're you're going to say, "Wow, this is really bad." Uh, this is there's Jeroboam deserves the sentence of death, and so. Uh, this sacrifice to a goat idol, goat uh, idol, would have been a violation of the first commandment. And he says that when you do that, you play the harlot. What was it? What else was Jeroboam doing? He was playing the harlot. He was playing the harlot. Verses eight and nine. Moses adds that. Anybody, a sojourner, not just an Israelite, any sojourner who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice, and he does not bring it to the doorway of the tent of meeting to offer it to Yahweh, if he if, if he offers it offers it to any other god in any other way, this man shall be cut off from his people. This deserves the death penalty. Now in verses ten through fourteen. Move to the second big point. It, it, this is a prohibition of the eating of blood. And uh, he says, uh, any man, sojourner, foreigner, if you eat the blood of a sacrifice, now we're talking about the blood of a sacrifice, uh, he will be cut off from among his people. Uh, why, why, why is this the case? Why is this the case? The verse 11. Verse 11 gives the reason. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Right? It also there is reason before that the blood was splashed by the priest in the verses fire. If you eat that, that blood of the sacrifice, and I don't know if that should be the reason as well. Uh... Uh, well, that's, yeah, yeah, so the priest needs to offer the blood, mm -hmm. and yes, uh, if you eat it, the, 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 the priest is not offering it, but the, 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 the big reason is verse 11. 
It's because of what the blood represents. It, because uh, the blood represents life. Uh, it represents uh, somebody dying for you through substitution. God will accept the blood of the animal, which is the life of the animal, and that life is given in exchange for your life. And that transaction is so holy, is so wonderful, is so great, that to eat the blood that represents that exchange, life for life, renders you blood guilty. Blood guilty. Um, is that is that any blood like they said in verse ten or of blood that's like from an animal de dedicated for sacrifice? Uh, this is any any blood. Any blood. Okay. Uh, verse ten. Look what it says. And any man from the house of Israel or from the sojourners who sojourn among them who eats any blood. Okay. See, who is any blood uh, will be cut off be cut off from among his people. Uh, the implication is blood guiltiness. There's no, there's no sacrifice that, be, that can be given to, um, to, uh, to forgive you for this. It, the, the word in verse 11, make atonement, has the idea of pain or ransom. The blood that rams you, ransoms you at the price of life. So, to be ransomed from your sin requires not a monetary payment, it requires a, an animal's life that represents yours to be sacrificed instead of you, you. And if you just think about it, even if you're an Israelite thousands of years ago, uh, just using common sense, can, can an animal's blood take away the sin of a human being? No, I don't know. Obviously it can. Obviously it can. So in, there's in this there's this inherent what symbolism, mm -hmm. an inherent we need a better sacrifice for my sin to be truly taken away. It can't be a, it can't be a goat, can't be a bull, can't be any sort of lamb. Oh, this this atonement that that, uh, that Israel receives it, it's it's a temporary atonement. It's kind of for. Uh, uh, the atonement of all the sacrifices that you make, it, 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 you have to offer it every day. The day of atonement happens every year. It's temporal God restrain his wrath. But if you want an eternal atonement, a better, a better a sacrifice is required. And so eating blood is not allowed. It's not allowed in any way. Uh, six times in verses 10 through 14, it uh, Moses keeps re repeating that. Uh, I will set my person. I will set my face against per any person who eats blood, um, who eats any blood. Twice you see that. Uh, verse twelve, you see it again. No sojourner may you may eat blood. Verse twelve. Uh, verse thirteen. Let's say you're hunting, right? And uh, you're hunting a wild beast, a wild bird. You can't have that blood either. You have to pour it out, cover it with earth. Uh, there might be a, somebody who might... You, you, this blood is so precious, it needs to be covered with the dirt of the earth. 
And so nobody, nobody in, in, in no situation, verse 14 again, why the blood is identified with this life. You are not to eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all the flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. God wants you to respect life. Uh, respect life. Respect the life that's sacrificed for you. Respect the life that will be sacrificed for you in the person of Christ. Um, you see this rule, this rule back in the Noahic covenant, Genesis 9 4. So when Noah and his sons got off the ark, he said, You can eat everything, every beast, every bird. There's no uh, unclean, clean animals at this time. But you know what? What you can eat, you cannot eat. Verse 4 flesh with this life, that is, its blood, you shall not eat. Why? Because blood is related to a, person, a person's life, it represents a person's life. Surely I will require your life, blood. From every living thing I will require it, and from every man, from each man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by, by man his blood shall be shed. So you see this uh, connection between the blood and a person's life, and therefore you can't eat the blood that represents life. More specifically in Leviticus, you can't eat the blood that is used to atone for your own soul. Verses 15 and 16, any person who eats an animal who dies or torn, or torn um, don't eat it. You can't eat a, a, a dead animal. You can't eat roadkill. You can't eat the raccoon I ran over today, last week. Um, but if you do, you can. there is a remedy for it. You're, you're ceremonially unclean for the day. You wash your clothes, you, 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 you bathe in water, and until, until the evening, and when the evening comes, you're clean. Um, if you don't do that, then you shall bury your guilt. So, this is the question for the, the night. Can Christians eat blood today? Oh, that's yes. going to be my question. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's not going to be that easy for you guys. So, um... I was going to ask that. I know because of that passage uh, back in Haiti, my, my mom was always telling me when you go to the marketplace, you see those books selling blood, all kinds of blood, but more so uh, pig blood. They, they cook it somehow, season it, they do some stuff to it, it becomes like hard, and they sell it. It doesn't look good. It's never been appealing, but they tell you it tastes good. So, uh, that was going to be the question. <laughs> if I had eaten that, would I be guilty of blood guiltiness, like today, or I don't know, maybe fifteen years ago? Well, I don't know. What do you think? Can we can we eat blood or not? Uh, yes, I think so, because Jesus came to abolish the well, you know, um, the old system. Okay. Yeah. 
Alright, so go to Acts 15. The question of the question for the church in this early period of the church is how much of the law should Gentiles who come to Christ keep because the Jews they still are clinging to the law, so there's a there is a compromise made. The Jerusalem Council makes this compromise. And uh, this is this is the, the answer that the Jerusalem Council gives to the church, the Gentile church. Um, verse 28-29. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from the things strangled, and from sexual immorality, from which, if you keep yourselves, you will do well, farewell. So this is the second question. Are there, is there, in this decision by the Jerusalem Council, is it a temporary restriction for the Gentile church, or is it a permanent restriction for the Gentile church? I, well, <laughs> I, I think I think it's permanent because from, from Leviticus seventeen, we were being taught, yeah. you know, about like the blood representing life to yeah. respect life, okay. you know, uh, even the life of a slave. We saw that in Exodus, yeah. you know, the way we treat slaves and everything. I think I, I think even that kind of thinking, yeah. you know, to 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 not eat the blood which represent the life, maybe not to the same degree. But I, I, I think it was great advice <laughs> from, the, from the church. So, you, to, to so you're so you're saying that this is a permanent injunction? I, I think so. I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't eat just based on how you know I was raised. Also, any so it's animal, permanent. Okay, who says it's not permanent? Okay, it's not permanent. Why? Well, I think it's because the fact that. Uh, that was at the time they, they need to find a solution to you know to yeah. help the Gentile to just came over, you know. <clears throat> okay. But so going back to John Henry, I'll go back to I'll return to Henry. Well, what about First Corinthians eight? He says about food sacrificed to idols. Um he says Verse 4, concerning the eating of things, sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in this world, and there's no God but one. He's saying it's not a big deal. So, verse 7, if an idol, if I eat food, sacrifice to idols, uh, and I stumble on another believer, I'm sinning. Right? And... Uh, Verse uh, 13, uh, therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat again. So the implication is that if it causes you to stumble, you, you can't eat it. But if it doesn't, you can't eat it. Right? So going back to Acts 15, it says you abstain from things sacrificed to idols. Yeah. So my question is, is this a permanent injunction or a temporary injunction? Uh, it's permanent if... If you're eating it from um, people that are sacrificing to it. So you're saying there's some conditions in there? Yeah. Okay. So it says, you shall abstain from sexual immorality. Yeah. So is that 
a temporal? Are there conditions? Are there some cases where I can engage in sexual immorality? No, never. So the answer is what? There's some things that are permanent here. There's some things that are temporary. <laughs> so the question is, is the one is the meat sacrifice to idols is that permanent or temporary? I I don't think the meat sacrifice to idols is permanent. Okay, yeah, Paul, you're right. You're right. Paul yeah. some yeah. stipulations yeah. there, yeah. but he didn't touch on the blood. So he did talk about the blood. Yeah, but, but I, I think the blood here stands on its own. Going back to Leviticus, right? Well, well, no. If you say it, if you're basing it on Leviticus, then Peter's right because the, remember uh, in the Peter's dream. Uh, yes. There's all these unclean animals, yeah, yeah. and the angel says, or God says, eat, eat, Peter. You can eat it all. You can eat Gentile food. You can eat unclean food. So if so, and Paul says, no, we're no longer under the, under the law. We're no longer under under the Mosaic law. So no, you can't eat blood because you can't use that as a reason for not eating the blood because Leviticus doesn't apply anymore. Okay. But is there another place that says he can't eat blood? Another covenant? Yes, remember I, I showed you. No, no way of covenant. Yeah. Genesis 9. Yeah. Genesis 9. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so. Genesis 9 says uh, you can eat any, anything you want. Anything you want. It's like yeah. a new covenant, new covenant of freedom, but. The blood. There's blood you shall not eat. So, so that, that was my argument. So I think you're right. I think yeah. you're right. I think you're right. I, I think that yeah, we can't. We can. We can no longer eat blood today. Still, we still can't eat blood today because of the Noahic covenant, mm -hmm. and because we're still under that. Um, the the capital punishment within uh, Genesis nine still applies, right? Mm -hmm. If you kill somebody, you, you, your life will be taken away. That mm -hmm. still applies. So you can't eat blood. Um, I think you can eat now. The you, you you brought up something interesting. Cooked blood. I mean, uh, I just I just always thought live blood you can't eat or drink any blood that's not cooked because yeah any any meat that you would eat would have blood that would be cooked in it, right? I was gonna say that. Yeah, yeah but it's very minimal. Well, well, I guess so. But that's not blood. That's, the blood is yeah, not a steak. Yeah, that's that's, a, some, that's yeah, the protein. That's, true, that's some, the protein. At some point, there was. Okay. Not, there drink. was blood, but no and, longer and, and anymore. Right. They don't drink. Like, if you cook meat, you don't. They don't fully can't fully drink everything from. But that red color is not is not blood. No, no, no. no I know. I know. But like, if you're going out hunting, for example. Yeah. And you. Kill a you know you you kill a deer and prepare to the portrait to to eat yeah the deer yeah are you sinning by not draining every single possible drop of blood before you cook that no you still have to drain it you still have to drain it right but drain it. right what I'm saying is so you have to guarantee to in order to not sin because a single drop would be would be doing yeah right so would a single drop cause you to sin because you failed to drain every single every single drop. Well, if you drain it and then you cook it, you cook it. Yeah, and you're fine. But that, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. the cook, that's what I'm saying. Cooked meat is cooked blood is fine. It's fine because sure, it's fine. It, it, then because if you apply that same principle to like say 
hunting for, it, for your meat and and then killing it and cooking it. I see. I, I see. I, I, I don't see. think. I don't think. It, I don't think it's fine because the intent <laughs> is eating the blood. So if I take the blood, I transform it. Now yeah. it's cooked. I'm still yeah. eating the blood. You know, now the intent when you kill the deer, I have to, you know, bleed it. I bleed right. it. So if there's some blood that's left, now my intent right. is not so the to principle is not blood. is not exactly cooked. Yeah, so blood. the intention. The yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. So I guess we could say live blood, uh like I think some hunters drink blood, don't they? Like that's a tradition, they drink a deer's blood, is that what I've heard? Yeah, they do. So that's out of the question, what we can write. Yeah. Uh, cooked meat is fine. Steaks, rare, uh, medium rare is fine. That's not really blood. Uh, cooked blood, let's just maybe question mark. Great <laughs> 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 area. We'll, we'll, let, uh, we'll let John Henry uh, you know, uh, give him the freedom not to eat that. Uh, but I think that is, a, that, that is a good heart attitude, right? And if, even if there's some cooked blood and you're like, well, uh, I don't want to take any chances because I know what it represents. Yeah. It represents the blood of Christ shed for my sins. So I want to honor that, you know. Um, there's this Korean uh, blood sausage that I really like. Oh, yeah. And after I read this, I was like, well, do I, can I eat that anymore? I think it's cooked. I mean, there's a... But when Henry said cooked blood, now I was like, now I have all these issues. <laughs> I got to decide whether I can eat this. Go ahead. Uh, uh, first, uh, Peter, then Jim. Uh, I was just going to say there's like a good Thai dish. Like, <laughs> I use this pork blood. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 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 live pork yeah. blood? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. It's like the, the boat noodle soup. It's called boat noodle soup. They use pork blood. blood. Oh, oh, but it's cooked, though. Yeah, it's, right, cooked. it's cooked. Okay, okay, that's a gray area. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Let us know what happens. It tastes really good, though. So. Uh, if you die before that day, we'll see you again. Jim? There's a place up here where it says, He who eats and doubts sins. That's true. Right. So if there's a doubt, right? If there's a doubt, good. That's true. Don't do it. Yep, yep. If you doubt it, yep. So sorry, Peter. If you put doubts in you, no more boat noodles. I think I've read that people in slaughterhouses sometimes do drink blood. Yeah, I think there's there's situations now. Slaughterhouse. Oh, really? I mean, I mean, I know there's raw meat dishes, but I think they drain that. Even that when it gets to raw meat, I think the blood's drained there. Yeah, they had. So I think they're coming for the raw the raw meat. Um, what is that called? The French tartare? Yeah, tartare. Yeah, tartare. Sushi. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of fish. Yeah. I don't think it's, uh, fish bleed. Oh, yeah, but they have uh, sushi is raw fish, but those sorts of things, uh, Japanese use raw meat. Uh, yeah, they, they eat raw meat, but I, I think yeah. they drain the, the blood is drained yeah. before the, the raw meat is eaten. Well, uh, well, there you go. There you go. Um, a little, a little uh, knowledge and for our dietary habits.